Welcome, everyone, to today's Autistic Moment, a podcast for autistic adults by an autistic adult. My name is Philip Kinglow, the owner, producer, and host, and I am an autistic adult. This first segment of today's Autistic Moment is sponsored by the Autism Society of Minnesota, Minnesota's first autism resource. The Autism Society of Minnesota has been supporting Minnesota's autism community for 50 years. Visit them online at ausm.org to register for the conference April 21st through the 24th. I want to acknowledge that this is my sixth podcast episode since I started publishing this past January. I want to say a huge thank you to the 369 people who have listened to today's Autistic Moment over the past three months. I want to acknowledge all my listeners, including those in the United States, Australia, Canada, India, Pakistan, Hungary, Sweden, Poland, Germany, New Zealand, Norway, the United Kingdom, France, and the Netherlands. When I read the early statistics of how my podcast is doing, I am so encouraged to know that what I am doing is reaching people on a global scale. Today's Autistic Moment is off to a great start because of you, my listeners. Thank you so, so very much. Please visit todaysautisticmoment.com for all the important information about this podcast for autistic adults. Browse my website to subscribe to receive an email with newly published episodes, podcast news, and updates in the store. Visit the store, todaysautisticmoment.com, to purchase a custom-made t-shirt to support the fundraiser for the Autism Society of Minnesota before April 24th. Check out books for sale by great authors such as Temple Grandin, Cynthia Kim, Dr. Teresa Regan, and lots of fun fidgets. If you are looking for a program script with my announcements and a transcript for the interviews, check out the podcast episodes page on my website and the episode index. Transcripts are sponsored by GT Independence. Autistic adults have challenges with executive functioning to manage day-to-day self-care. When the unexpected happens, like an auto accident or a routine change, these anxiety and stress are overwhelming. In those moments of high anxiety and chaos, Autistic adults need tools to help them put themselves in an order to get back to a space where we can begin to put life back together again. Social narratives are a tool that autistic adults can use to map out the steps they can take in any given situation. Social narratives are a great way to plan a social outing how to clean up your room, or find your way through the hallways of a large building. Eric Ringenberg is the Director of Education Programs at the Autism Society of Minnesota. Eric gives presentations for certification classes, skill shops, training courses for autistic people, and other professionals who work with autistic individuals. As my guest today, Eric will give some great advice about what social narratives are and how they can be put together and used to help autistic adults manage their lives. And now I present Autistic Adults and Social Narratives with my guest, Eric Ringenberg. So Eric, um, thank you for coming on to an episode of today's Autistic Moment. I'm glad you're here. It is my privilege to work with you uh, as an educational assistant at the Autism Society of Minnesota. Uh, a couple of years ago, I sat in and took the certification class a few years ago 
And one area that I really got a lot of helpful information about was when you talked about social narratives. Um, your presentation on that matter was really clear, and I loved how you put that together. So as I was thinking about doing something about social narratives, um, I'm thinking about it in the context of adults. Um, <clears throat> because, <clears throat> me, because as adults, we may not have all those supports that parent, you know, that a parent is helping, you know, with, 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 you know, doing social narratives. So I want to um, give my listeners some information about, about applying social narratives as autistic adults. So with that, um, let me I ask you my first question. And that question, of course, is what information do autistic adults and our caregivers need to know about in terms of social narratives for autistic adults? Sure, thank you. And uh, absolutely, thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, before I start to describe them and answer your question, I'm gonna kind of present a scenario. So if you can kind of envision this, put yourself into, into this spot. Let's say that you, uh, you go somewhere and you arrive at your destination, but once you get there, you don't have any idea of where to go. You're not sure what to do. You're not sure how to proceed and accomplish what you are setting out to do. Put yourself in that situation and then think about how might you feel and how you would seek to move forward in this scenario. For some people, that sort of situation may be exciting or exhilarating, but for many people, that, that sort of scenario or situation creates a lot of anxiety, and that can be a big barrier to uh, accessing the community. And so I start with that scenario because really what social narratives are is a way to try to address that sort of situation. Uh, a social narrative is really a short, simple story uh, that using words and pictures, it visually represents some sort of social situation or social context, uh, explains what to do and some of the expected social behaviors uh, that go along with those circumstances. So really what a social narrative tries to do is connect the important details of that setting or that social, social situation and helps a person to understand the social context. And so that means not just explaining what to do, but why it's important to do that. Because sometimes that's the missing information for individuals who are autistic or may have other neurodiversities. Sometimes they may understand what's expected of them, but it may not be as an intuitive to know why that's what's expected of them. And so that's just as critical uh, to explain. Usually, or, or I'd say most often, social stories are developed and used as a individual strategy. So they're individualized to the person it's being written for in terms of uh, the language level that's used, the vocabulary, etc. With that said, we also have done some work at the Autism Society of Minnesota to work with different venues, different organizations, different events to also create social narratives that can be uh, accessed in order to promote inclusion and accessibility within the community and within those events. And so places like the Science Museum in Minnesota, the Walker Arts Center, um, I did one uh, not too long ago for the Minnesota Wild and the XL Energy Center, but we really promote uh, places taking the initiative because as of now it's not required of them to do so, but this is something that they can do to really demonstrate not only that they can say or put down on paper that they want to be more accessible and inclusive, but to actually demonstrate that they're putting forth an effort in order to do so. And so, as I mentioned, usually this will pair uh, words and text along with uh, pictures. You know, there's that phrase that says uh, a, a photo's worth a thousand words or however it goes. And so yes. I always really stress to people, 
rather than using a clip art, rather than using a stock image, as much as you can take actual photos of what people can expect, because then not only do you have the written description, but if it's somewhere that you've never been before, it's something you haven't experienced, you can actually get a picture of what it looks like. And going in with that sort of information can really be make or break the difference between being able to uh, access those sort of settings or not. After this commercial break, Eric and I will continue our conversation about autistic adults and social narratives. Stay tuned. The guests on today's Autistic Moment bring a lot of essential information for autistic adults. Their ability to give advice that assists us feel safer being ourselves and advocating for autistic adults is worth every point they make. Therefore, I have decided to add a third commercial break and fourth segment to each show, beginning with the first episode on April 5th. Thank you for listening to today's Autistic Moment. GT Independence is a national leader in financial management services for self-directed in-home and community-based long-term support. With self-direction, you have the right to live the life you choose, regardless of age or ability, in your own home or community. At GT Independence, our job is to help make self-direction easy. With self-direction, you make all the important choices, like who to hire, when to schedule support, how to manage your care, and even who to fire if things aren't working out. We take care of the administrative details, including Medicaid waivers, new employee paperwork, taxes, and paychecks. Founded in 2004, GT Independence is a disability-owned business that's proud to have assisted more than 25,000 people in receiving self-directed care from the safety of their own homes during the COVID-19 pandemic. By removing the increased risk of group living settings, self-directed care saved lives. To learn more about GT Independence and how to self-direct care in your state, visit www.gtindependence.com. life be great if everything fell in place. Sometimes our lives need a little rearranging. One of the most challenging times is when we experience a major transition, such as job exploration, moving to a new place, or simply when you are defining your path in life. During these challenging times, individuals can feel like there's a great river between you and where you want to go. Looking Forward Life Coaching helps carve a path to the destination that's right for you. Then lay the stepping stones so you can accomplish your goals. Visit us at lookingforwardlc.org for more information. Support comes from Minnesota Independence College and Community, a life and career skills program for young adults with autism and learning differences. Help a young adult take a step towards their independence and a vibrant life. Learn more at micommunity.org. Welcome back to Autistic Adults and Social Narratives. And now, back to my conversation with Eric Ringenberg. Let's pick up where 
you were talking about um, social narratives helping out like at the museums and such. And I, and I believe what you were trying to say, correct me if I'm wrong, that these social narratives, they help autistic individuals um, basically plan their path to how they're going to have a particular experience doing, say, walking around a museum or, or walking around a place so that they can actually take in what it is that they're wanting to take in there. Is that where you were going with that? Yeah, it definitely can involve knowing where to go and kind of planning your route or sequence of activities, but also it, it covers important things like uh, how to get to where you're going. Um, once you get in, you know, usually there's some sort of routine when you enter a place, whether you have to uh, purchase a ticket or an admission or something else. It's nice to know in advance what that's going to look like and what the expectation is. For example, uh, some places that you go to, such as uh, XL Energy Center or um, U.S. Bank Stadium, you have to go through a security checkpoint, and that can be very anxiety-provoking for some people. Sorry. So talking through what that routine is and what those steps involve can help people to feel more comfortable with going through that sort of process. Yeah. I also, um, in my introduction, I've mentioned about how uh, social narratives can be particularly helpful with executive functioning. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so executive functioning, as you know, really boils down to kind of planning and organizing yourself and working towards uh, goals that you have, whether those are short-term or more long-term. So social narratives can really help to just organize your thoughts and your plan so that you can go through uh, a sequence of steps that you have somewhat thought out or has been laid out for you so that um, in the moment, you know, uh, off the cuff, you aren't always having to do that you know, consistently through your visit. So it takes some of those, uh, some of those uh, needs off of the, off of your executive functioning. So then you can focus those skills on others. Okay. Yeah. Well, one of the things, questions I have that I think I can, can sense coming from some autistic adults is I have this issue with my own issues with executive functioning. How can I, an autistic adult with executive functioning, plan a social narrative for myself? How does that work? Sure. What do you suggest? A, yeah, that's a great question. And as I was kind of preparing my thoughts for um, this segment, really, I kind of broke it down into two avenues. Uh, we can talk about, um, you know, I just mentioned how We've worked with organizations for them to prepare and make available social narratives for individuals. We also can talk about individuals uh, taking it upon themselves to work on writing their own. So let's talk about that uh, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, please. I, I do think that there are some, some barriers to that process, but by no means is it, uh, it you know, it, is it... it not possible for someone who is autistic to create their own social narrative. Um, for one, I think many people are aware of this tool and this strategy, but we can't say with certainty that everyone is. So the first step right. is to know, um, you know, what this is, a little bit of the background I described of why they can be useful, and just knowing that this sort of support exists. Um, the other thing is just like any other sort of written you know, if whether you write poetry or, or, or uh, you know, news articles, any sort of written writing is, is a skill and it takes work. And so uh, practicing and getting experience writing social narratives um, is something that across the board, no one's going to be perfect at it right away. It takes, it takes practice, it takes experience. And I think what you were getting at too is that, um, as I described, really the purpose of this tool is to provide information that is needed, but that person may not be aware of. And so I think right. the question you ask is, how do I write a social narrative if I don't know the information? 
And so right. mm-hmm. there's some things that can be done. Um, you know, when I'm working on a social narrative, whether it's for a group of people or for one person, the first step is really gathering information. So a lot of times uh, I'm visiting someone's website, looking for photos, looking for information about it. So just kind of collecting information is the first step before you even start trying to write it out. Um, If there's information that is needed that you feel you don't have, I always like to have at least one other person read through a narrative before I share it with someone else. Because once again, just like any other writing you do, it's get to, it's good to get feedback. Sometimes things make sense to you, but upon someone else reading it, they may say, this was a little confusing or it felt like this was missing. And I say, you know, oh, that makes sense. You know, I knew that, but because I didn't write it down, by you reading it, we kind of figured out what was missing. And so what I would say is if you're looking to write your own social narratives, especially for the first time, don't be afraid to try. That's perfectly fine. Seek feedback from someone that maybe has experience with writing them previously. Also, if it's specific to a certain context or routine or activity, maybe find someone who has experienced that before. So for example, let's say that you had to, um, you know, go to the DMV to get your license renewed or something, and you've never done that before. They don't have a social narrative available for you. So you want a better understanding of uh, what that process looks like so that you can review it before you go in. Maybe a friend, a family member, et cetera, find someone who has gone there and done that um, and experienced it and say, can you review this? Can you talk to me about what your experience was like? Is there anything that you wish you would have known before you went there, et cetera? Mm -hmm. So getting feedback from others who have experienced uh, whatever it is, the topic that you're trying to uh, focus on or address would be another great step as you're looking to develop them uh, more individually. Okay. That sounds good. Um, well, uh, you've already mentioned the word barrier and we're moving right along pretty well. So let me ask that second question. What are the barriers for autistic adults of all ages when it comes to social narratives? And we know that one of those barriers is um, there are autistic adults, not all of them, because we don't want to generalize too much here, because none of us is exactly the same, that um, communicating is one of our biggest challenges, and also communicating with others what our challenges might be to help us to plan like a social narrative. Um, again, and finding those, you know, for many of us autistic, autistics, just finding individuals we trust to help us do those things is always some kind of challenge. Uh, And so, you know, um, like I say, you know, I, I, I think I sense that some may feel, well, this is not some, these are not my strong points. How do I actually learn how to develop um, social narratives to help me do the tasks that I need to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked about, you know, if we we just talked about some of the barriers of, of especially writing them individually, I think another barrier is, um, like I said, it's not required or mandatory at this point that all public venues, um, you know, provide this sort of support the way that they're required to do for other things that fall under the the ADA, or et cetera. I do hope that whether it's at the state level or the national level, in the not too far future, we will go back and continue to add things like social narratives and some of the different sensory considerations into our our legislation around accessibility. But just because it's not required doesn't mean someone can't do it on, take it on and it's not uh, a worthwhile endeavor. So continuing to provide that that availability of ones that are already produced is definitely 
uh, a way to to try to get over the uh, some of those barriers. The other thing too is uh, I think as you're well aware, uh, there's this unnecessary belief or or mindset that as autistic individuals move from childhood into adolescence into adulthood, things like social narratives that they've received throughout their life that are highly effective. For some reason, as soon as individuals leave school, some people think that all of a sudden we don't need to do that anymore or they're not needed or they're not effective, et cetera. So pushing back against that, that uh, incorrect assumption and uh, promoting the idea that uh, just like we are making them available for, for younger individuals, Let's also think about some of the some of the situations that uh, adults may face. I mentioned going to the DMV, um, especially things that can occur that are unexpected, uh, mm. such as uh, maybe getting in a car accident. For anyone exactly. that's very unnerving, if you could pull out a social narrative to uh, review quickly before you engage with that other driver. Yeah, as I was saying, let's say you get in a, a minor car accident, a fender bender, um, that's that's unexpected for everyone. Um, that raises my anxiety, certainly. But once again, if that happens, being able to pull out a short social narrative to review, to, to clarify, here are the things I need to do, that can go a long way to helping you be successful in what's a pretty stressful uh, social situation. And so right. I think finding those things that uh, are scenarios that are probably less applicable to younger individuals and focusing on putting those out there, you know, like I said, a, a yeah. lot of times these are written for an individual, but we can also create a general template that then someone could individualize as they need. And so that way, they don't have to start from scratch right? and give them a framework to work with uh, an outline. And then if they need to tweak it a little bit, um, that's much less work than having to start from scratch. And so the other thing I would add is there are a number of resources out there that can assist you in uh, understanding how to write a social narrative. Um, and so I would okay. encourage you to, to seek those out. There are some also kind of collections or, or small libraries where people have tried to uh, assemble different social narratives. And you're always welcome to reach out to the Autism Society of Minnesota. We're always happy to yeah. give feedback um, if you're working on a social narrative and want someone to give it a, a once over who has some yeah. experience, just reach out and we'd be happy to provide that sort of support. Yeah, after, after this interview is done, uh, if you would send me some of those online, if some of those those resources online, I can include them in my um, autism resources links there so people can find them. Yeah, well, I think that one of the barriers that can, of course, exist is that um, autistic adults um, often need something to help them for what is unplanned, for what is unpredictable. So what I hear you saying is, and again, correct me if, if I'm going on the wrong place with this, but perhaps it might be a good idea to do some pre-planning, such as if I were in, a, in an auto accident, here's a social narrative of some steps I will need to follow and kind of have that around so that if one is in a situation like that, one can go back to that and say, this is something I should do. Now, of course, car accidents or car accidents and other things like, um, you know, even planning for, for, you know, all of the, many of the unexpected that could, can occur. Um, you know, following a social narrative probably isn't going to be so neat and clean, but at least it provides some kind of you know, possible structure that someone can go back to, to kind of help them remember that this particular situation is not an end all be all, but that there is a path to work through that. Mm -hmm. Is that, exactly. is that about 
Exactly. Because especially if something unexpected happens, we all get that rush of stress and anxiety. And then when you're on the spot and you're trying to think, all right, what do I need to make sure I do? That can be really hard to just recall in that situation. And so by putting in a little thought on the front end before that happens um, and then having that ready to pull out, it's just a way of supporting yourself or others so that um, you can take some of that that pressure in the moment off of you and say, you know, it doesn't necessarily make it mean it's going to it's going to make the, the situation easy. But at least then you have something to look to to say, all right, I need to make sure I do this and this and this. And you don't uh, just kind of uh, leave yourself to chance to make sure that you you navigate it the way that you uh, would want to. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause those moments of high anxiety where many of us on the spectrum have that, have those anxiety disorders or, you know, of course there's many other disorders associated with being autistic, everything from anxiety disorders to OCD to, to, um, you know, we can, we could name them all day. But um, the point is, is that, a social narrative uh, can actually be a good tool for de-stressing or taking that stress off rather than adding that stress on. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, that barrier of stress, um, you know, can indeed hinder, maybe, I say maybe, uh, a social narrative. But the purpose of the social narrative is to help reduce that anxiety, not cause more. Yeah. And we talked about a pretty specific example, but you could even write one that just generally is, you know, we we all know that many individuals, uh, both autistic and non-autistic, don't like unexpected change. And so right. you can write a social narrative about when something unexpected happens and kind of just off mm-hmm. the cuff, uh, it could be like, you know, the first the first sentence could acknowledge that i do not like unexpected change right sometimes that happens when unexpected change occurs i can and then kind of fill in some coping strategies and everyone has their own but it's kind of like almost you're giving your future self a pep talk in a way like you're writing these things down so that when that stress does hit you you kind of pull it out and remind yourself yeah, this does kind of suck, but these are the things I can do to support myself. Yeah. I also think that social narratives could be a great way of planning what to do in the event of a sensory overload, for example. For me, the key is knowing exactly what I'm experiencing and what to do when I'm experiencing it. But some autistic adults could actually use a social narrative to remind themselves when I am in sensory overload, this is what I will do. I will, you know, plan these steps. I will tell somebody. I will withdraw into a space by myself. I will spend this time fidgeting or doing something I like until I am feeling like I can communicate more clearly or something like that. I mean, those social narratives are a great way to plan for those things that happen um, so that, you know, there can be some of that effective communication that needs to happen with caregivers and others around them. And, um, you know, th- this is where I always interject by saying the more one, the more one knows their own autism, the better off they are because then they can use these so- social narratives to plan for these, you know, those things that happen to autistics. Yeah, I, I like the example you shared. And if you if you remember from certification, um, you know, this is a, a, a little separate, so we don't have to go uh, too far into it. But another thing that can pair well with a social narrative is that strategy called a power card. And for what you described with the sensory overload, I could see having a social narrative that's more lengthy, that maybe you read you know, when you wake up in the morning or once a week, whatever makes sense to you. But in the moment when you are actually experiencing that sensory overload, you're probably not going to want something that is, you know, paragraphs long. 
So that's where something uh, like a power card, which is basically a very condensed version. And like you said, maybe that's just listing the four or five steps to take. That's how they could kind of uh, complement each other. So like I said, you have a narrative, you review it periodically just to, to refresh and remind yourself. Maybe then in your wallet or your purse, you have about an index size mini version that doesn't include everything, but it basically lists out once that sensory overload starts to hit, you pull it out, you look at it, and then you start going down the steps. After this commercial break, Eric and I will continue our conversation about autistic adults and social narratives. Stay tuned. Visit the virtual booth for today's Autistic Moment at the Inform Influence Innovative Together, the virtual collaborative conference organized by the Autism Societies of Minnesota and Greater Wisconsin, April 21st through the 24th. I will be offering appointments for those who might be interested in being future guests on my podcast or have suggestions about topics you would like to hear about. Be sure to purchase a custom-made t-shirt by April 24th to go towards the fundraiser for the Autism Society of Minnesota. Support for today's Autistic Moment comes from Best Care Home Care Agency. Best Care offers PCA choice, homemaking, and 245D services throughout the metro and greater Minnesota. Visit their website, bestcaremn.com, to learn more about their services. The Autism Society of Minnesota provides counseling services, support groups, the Community Resources Directory, Public Policy for Autistic People, Skill Shops Classes, the State Conference, and Community Summit. The Autism Society of Minnesota provides scholarships to many low-income autistic individuals and families to be able to attend their many educational opportunities. They provide education for care providers and professionals to better understand autism and the needs of autistic people. Awesome is providing training for law enforcement officials in their interactions with autistic individuals. The Autism Society of Minnesota provides summer camps and social events for families with autistic children, spouses, and so much more. To celebrate the Autism Society of Minnesota's 50th year and to support their work for the autistic community, I am having a t-shirt sale and fundraiser. Go to todaysautisticmoment.com and to the store to purchase a custom-made t-shirt anytime between March 1st and April 24th. I will be donating 15% of all the t-shirts sold to the Autism Society of Minnesota through the Give at Home fundraiser in May through GiveMN, which will double the amount of the donation. If you want to make a donation, Without purchasing a t-shirt, you can do that too. Click on the Donate to Awesome Fundraiser in the store to make a donation. Thank you for listening to today's Autistic Moment. Coming up on April 5th, Autistic Adults and Autism Acceptance. April is Autism Acceptance Month. While the idea of autism awareness is not bad, it still limits the potential of autistics to be taken seriously as valuable members of society. P. 
people can be aware of autistic adults and still not accept us. Ellie Wilson, the Executive Director of the Autism Society of Minnesota, joins me to talk about the importance of moving from autism awareness to autism acceptance. Join Ellie and me for this installment. On April 19th, I will publish the installment, Autistic Adults and Community-Based Services. Community-based services are supposed to help autistic adults with medical insurance, getting a PCA, homemaker, transportation, food assistance, childcare, disability services, etc. Yet the application process is so very complicated and the caseworkers, PCAs, and independent living skills workers are not well trained to know what autism looks like. Many autistic adults have experienced case managers being rude, non-responsive, and even abusive. Sarah Swan, the founder of Looking Forward Life Coaching, joins me to talk about these important issues and provide some great advice. While we won't solve all of the problems that exist, we will begin bringing this topic to a more publicized conversation to work towards some kind of public policy change. Thank you for listening to today's Autistic Moment. Welcome back to Autistic Adults and Social Narratives. And now, back to my conversation with Eric Ringenberg. And I love where this conversation is going because it's going right into my third and final question. And that is what steps do autistic adults and our, and our supporters need to take to advocate for our needs? And let's begin by saying social narratives are a perfect way autistics to self-advocate because that social narrative gives them uh, gives them us one of those really clear tools as to how to do that yeah what i would what i would request is if you are going somewhere that you haven't been for the first time whether that's a, a museum a venue an event uh look and see if they have a social narrative created um, a lot of times on their website, it will either be under a drop down related to kind of planning your visit. Another spot that they say they sometimes land is um, within some of the accessibility sort of mm -hmm. uh, materials. But um, look for one if you're going somewhere, if you're doing something, especially if you haven't been there before. And then if you can't find it, call or email, contact the, the place and ask them if they have one, because sometimes they just get buried under layers of web pages, and sometimes they're not <laughs> as easy to find as I would like. The other yeah. thing is, too, if they don't have one, by calling and requesting, we're advocating for that sort of support that, like I exactly. said, isn't required. But if people are calling and asking, and you're giving a little description of what it is and how it can support and help to be inclusive of all individuals. Yeah. Um, that's a big step uh, advocacy wise. The other thing uh, I would encourage you to do, like I already mentioned, is just look out and I'll share some uh, that you can post, but look for resources and gather resources related to writing these and practice. That's how you're gonna learn how to do this. Practice, get feedback. Um, don't be afraid to try it out. Um, and if it's not perfect, that's okay. It's a, right. it's a lot better than, than not having anything at all than to have yeah. something that, uh, that's maybe still a little bit of a work in progress. Yeah, I agree with that. I think social narratives are also a great way of, say, dealing with many of those um, sensory uh, sensitivities. I can think of a really great example of, of, a, of where a social narrative might be, might be applicable. And that is like, someone is going to plan, someone who is autistic 
is going to plan to visit a different restaurant, a restaurant they've never been to before. Mm -hmm. So a great thing for a social narrative might to be, I'm visiting, going to be going to a restaurant I've never been to before. So number one, I'm going to look up their website and I'm going to look for um, information about the restaurant and also information about um, the menu and sort of take a look at menu items and see if there is something, you know, to look beforehand at some things that might work for me and other things that might not work for me and pre-plan that, that, that process. And then, you know, um, you know, as, as you say, um, you know, maybe call them and say, can you tell me a little bit about your lighting? You know, what your light, lighting is like. Can you tell me a little bit more about what times are, are more crowded or less crowded? You can, you know, do some research about, you know, um, can you tell me about whether you have spicier foods versus less spicier foods, depending on someone's, you know, ability to, to digest certain things. I mean, you can use, you can create a social narrative around each of those steps to help you plan for something new and unexpected to find some of your more predictable predictable um, responses to things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, th this is again where I, I continue to stress knowing your autism is important, but also when we communicate with others, other, other people, whether it be restaurant owners or, or librarians or, or teachers or anything like that, and explain to them what we need, you know, why we're asking questions. This is all part of telling our stories about what being autistic is like for us. And it gives them a little bit of a, an opportunity to think about how they may respond to that information. Absolutely. Um, I totally agree. Whenever you're self-advocating, you also are advocating on behalf of um, the communities that you identify with, wh whoever exactly. those be. Yeah, exactly. And social narratives, you know, the word narrative is connected with the word story. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I like to think I maybe perhaps uh, a social narrative can be can be how I retell that story to myself to remind myself that, you know, wherever I am, whatever I happen to be facing at this point in time is not an end unto itself, but that I can find ways of coping with a particular situation. Um, I think that one of those places where I can think of an autistic adult needing to advocate for themselves um, we all know that ableism plays a mean role in things. I know why are you, why somebody might be going to what looks like an elementary form of, of trying to plan steps. And I can, I think I can hear someone, someone, uh, having to explain to a caregiver or to somebody who looks around them about why they need to do these things. Um, you know, and that it's, it's not just a matter of, of, uh, a maturity call a, a maturity judgment here it's a it's it's about being able to function on a day-to-day -day basis to be as independent as necessary and also to have some sense of what what we can in fact achieve um so that we feel like we're actually achieving things for ourselves um i think you can add to, to any of that yeah you know, what comes to mind for me is my feeling that autistic individuals are good at many, many things. What often is challenging is doing more than one of those things at the same time. Mm. And so it's not that you can't do it. It's that uh, to use this example of going somewhere for the, the first time, it's not that you can't do that or navigate the, the sensory or, or figure out where to go. It's the combination of having to do that all at once that exactly. really creates the challenge. And so right. things like social narrative take some of that off of your mental plate, metaphorically, 
so that then you don't have to focus on that all at once. You don't have to try to hold all of that in mind and make sense of it and process and figure it out. It's about taking some of these skills that it's not that you don't have the skill once again, it's that if you're asked to do that and that and that and that all simultaneously, that's just not the natural skill set of the autistic brain. And so that's why something like a social narrative helps to offload one or more of uh, those skills and abilities and needs so that then you can focus on other things or you can take them things a little bit more one at a time versus trying to just navigate it all at once because that's when it becomes overwhelming and you shut down or you have to escape. And so really to me, that's, that's uh, why this is needed. It's not because you can't do things or you can't be independent. It's that rather than saying, uh, well, because you can't do these all at once, now someone has to do one of them for you. No, you can do it all for yourself. You can support yourself through uh, strategies like this um, that are really effective for a variety of needs and a variety of individuals. Right. Yeah. What might be some um, first steps that you might suggest? Perhaps we already mentioned this for some people who have never done a social narrative before. Um, what are some ideas you might have about how, how people can learn how to do those things? Yeah, well, um, like I said, I'll follow up with some suggestions for resources on how to write them. I really think the first step is just to look at some social narratives, to see some that have been created, uh, to get a feel for, for kind of how they are structured. Um, there's no one right or wrong way to do it. So by looking at different examples, you may see things that's like, I really like how they did this here. This didn't do as much for me. But I think uh, along with developing or uh, collecting some resources that you can use to help guide you through the process, I think a great place to start is just to look for examples that are out there so that you, right. can, you can start to get a feel for what a finished product can look like. And once again, they can take uh, a variety of shapes and forms depending on what the goal is. And so that way you can get a little idea of what might work best for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think those, that's all very, really good information, Eric. Um, and so I think this is definitely something that my listeners will take a great interest in. Um, you know, we all, we, I say autistic adults and, you know, regardless of where we think we fit on the spectrum, however we define that, um, you know, that this is an opportunity for us to um, really develop a good sense of self-care uh, because we know that part of social narratives is to help us with our daily self-care, which is one of our greatest challenges for many autistic adults. Um, so um, it, a lot of this is about self-care, isn't it? It is. It is. It, uh, one way or another, I'd say the, uh, this is about promoting independence. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, um, successful social interactions and uh, taking care of yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We know that. Well, Eric, you've given us a lot of information to think about here, and I think the information is really, really important and will be well received. Uh, and so the last part I want to uh, leave my listeners with is that if anyone has any questions of you, how can they contact you? Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. Feel free to email me if you would like to uh, connect directly. My email is E-R-I-N-G-G-E-N-B-E-R-G at A-U-S-M.org. I'm going to say that one more time because it's a little bit of a mouthful. E-R-I-N-G-G-E-N-B-E-R-G at ausm.org. Otherwise, visit uh, ausm.org, our website. You could also find uh, information there or, or use that to get in touch with me. 
and thank you very much for this opportunity to speak about this topic. You're welcome. You're welcome. And as always, my listeners can always find me uh, either at todaysautisticmoment.com or you can also email me at p-k-l-o-w-e at todaysautisticmoment.com. Thank you very much, Eric. Absolutely. Today's Autistic Community Bulletin Board. The 2021 Awesome Summer Recreation Catalog Awesome's Guide to Sensory-Friendly Minnesota is now available on Awesome's website. The catalog contains information about activities with time-sensitive registration information, skill shops, training workshops, and summer camps. Don't miss these amazing opportunities for Minnesota's autism community. On April 13th from 7 to 9 p.m., I will be presenting a virtual skill shop about aging autistic adults at the Autism Society of Minnesota. Many of you have listened to my episode about aging autistic adults, what we needed yesterday, with Dr. Teresa Regan. During the virtual skill shop, I will mention some of what Dr. Teresa Regan spoke of, with some additional information about the barriers for aging autistic adults and some self-advocacy. On April 27th from 7 to 9 p.m., Beth Pitchford will present a skill shop called Friendship, How to Find and Keep Friends as an Autistic Adult. Many people on the autistic spectrum have lots of social challenges to find and maintain friendships. Beth will give some tips for building strong friendships and maintaining them during the COVID-19 pandemic while we need to keep social distancing. Steps for Autism in Minnesota will take place on Sunday, May 23, 2021 from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. at Como Lakeside Pavilion on 1360, that's 1360 Lexington Parkway North in St. Paul, Minnesota. Join the Autism Society of Minnesota for the virtual joint conference April 21st through the 24th. You'll learn from five amazing keynote speakers and dozens of breakout sessions of various topics. Visit ausm.org to register and learn about other educational opportunities. Please send an email to p-k-l-o-w-e at todaysautisticmoment.com if you are attending the conference and would like to make an appointment to talk about being a guest or having a topic suggestion. See the page for Min Autism State Conference on todaysautisticmoment.com. Please follow Today's Autistic Moment on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to Today's Autistic Moment, a podcast for autistic adults by an autistic adult.